Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm going to turn our attention, though, to the issue of medical assistance in dying. It was interesting. There was a, a poll that was released last week uh, finding that a, a lot of Canadians aren't aware of the rules around medical assistance in dying and the changes that were supposed to have been coming into effect in March. Last week, the government announced that it is going to delay that expanded criteria. Now, this has been very controversial because this is about not just opening up access to medical assistance in dying to those with mental illness, but that that would be a legitimate reason, the mental illness itself, for wanting medical assistance in dying. So the concern about the slippery slope here, uh, I think there's some, some very valid concerns. As mentioned, though, the announcement from the federal government last week that this was going to be delayed, this was Federal Justice Minister David Lametti. We know we need to get this right in order to protect those who are vulnerable and also to support an individual's autonomy and freedom of choice. For these reasons, today we are letting Canadians know that our government intends to work with our parliamentary colleagues in the House and Senate to negotiate an extension of the March 17, 2023 eligibility date. This will require legislation. Right now, we want all Canadians to know, especially those exempted by the current exemption of eligibility uh, from MAID, that we plan to take this next step. This is a top priority for our government, and we want to reassure Canadians that we are committed to ensuring that our laws protect everyone while supporting the autonomy and freedom of choice that are central to Canada's MAID regime. Okay, so what happens after this delay? If we're right back at where we started, what was the point? Could some changes uh, address some of these concerns? Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts on all of this is someone who's uh, followed all this very closely, very much has some concerns about the path we're going down. Uh, Dr. Sonu Gand is a professor of the University of Toronto Faculty of Medicine, is chief of psychiatry and the physician chair of the MAID team at Humbert River Hospital. Uh, Dr. Gand, thank you so much for joining us here today. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me, and more importantly, thank you for covering this very challenging topic. Well, it is it's challenging, but yeah, it, it is certainly very important. I think that you know that Canadians are aware of all of this, and that, that we talk about what this all entails. Now, first of all, what, what do you make of the announcement last week of this delay? So I'll say that I'm appreciative that they have announced a delay uh, or pause. I do have concerns that if all that happens is they push the date back by another few weeks or another few months and nothing else changes, that remains very problematic because the initial sunset clause that called for made for mental illness to be provided by March, that was very arbitrary and it's not based on any legislative um, requirements coming out of the Supreme Court or other rulings. It was an arbitrary political decision and not based on evidence. So I do have concerns about if it's just pushed down the road without any other um, deliberation. Mm -hmm. Well, and it seems like a lot has changed since, you know, medical assistance and dying, you know, first became a reality in this country, I guess, about six years ago. In your view, how much have, have things changed and how worrisome are these changes? 
Gino, I should preface this because you did mention I'm physician chair of my hospital May team. Right. Uh, I'm speaking as an individual, but obviously these are all experiences that inform and shape my opinion. Um, so I, I'm not a conscientious objector. I would not be involved in this whatsoever if I didn't believe there was value in it mm-hmm. in appropriate situations. I also think there's huge risk in inappropriate ones. And you mentioned the slippery slope at the beginning. Um, I actually don't think we've had a slippery slope. I think we're falling off a cliff. That the law, when it came in six years ago, that was introduced to help people when they were in the process of dying, their debts were were reasonably foreseeable. It was meant to help provide them a compassionate relief from a painful death. What's now happened with the expansion from 2021 and the planned further expansion with mental illness is it shifts from providing compassionate relief from a painful death to providing facilitated suicide to escape a painful life and all sorts of life suffering. That's what we're seeing. And that's a very, very different premise for providing death to people. And so that's what I have concerns about. And, you know, I'm happy to talk more about that. Well, it it is an interesting point because is is how relevant is suffering in in assessing whether that's a, a reasonable choice for for an individual to make or to ask for assistance in making it's hugely relevant but keep in mind that the public promise and actually the legislative requirement although frankly we know many times this is probably not uh, what's fueling the suffering requests of many people now. But the public promise has been that we're providing facilitated uh, deaths to people who have medical conditions that won't improve or are irremediable. In other words, it's become a medicalized thing where we think we're providing made to help relieve illness suffering that can't get better. Mm-hmm. As made is expanded beyond end-of-life conditions and as it's expanded to mental illness, that completely falls apart because people might have a medical condition, but what actually is fueling their made requests in many cases is other life suffering like poverty and loneliness. We're seeing that in the headlines all the time. And so it completely flips it around, and we are then only pretending as a society that we're providing it for a medical condition when in reality we're providing it for things that society maybe should help solve in other ways Mm -hmm. rather than saying, we're going to give you a facilitated death. And and that's why, frankly, despite not being a conscientious objector, my personal view is that this expansion, the expansion of MAID, it's based on a false premise of autonomy. It's not true autonomy for everyone. You know, Minister Lametti, I'm glad he wants to get things right, and he talks about autonomy and freedom of choice. I would challenge anyone to say that it's true autonomy and freedom of choice for somebody to be seeking assisted suicide because of poverty uh, when other people... So, so that's part of the problem. If you don't have true choice, you don't have true autonomy. If people haven't had a true choice to live with dignity, and then we're saying, but now we're going to provide you, quote-unquote, a death with dignity as an easy way out, just think about what that does to us as a society. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, this is such an important point because just given the importance of autonomy as a principle, it's it's something we even heard in that clip from David Lametti he, he cited. The government has, has emphasized this point about autonomy, but in understanding all of the relevant context here, it's it becomes tougher to define, I suppose. How, how do we or how do we need to define it? And, and, you know, you raise a very good point in many ways, more sophisticated question than what's informed the sunset clause. Because what you're asking is, what do we actually mean by true autonomy? And if all we're saying is that we're going to, as we expand made, we're also going to expose people who have been marginalized by sexism, ageism, racism, um, ableism through their lives, we're going to expose them to see death as the solution to other social life problems, to me, that's not true autonomy. That's a privileged autonomy. You know, the, the poet Anatoly France wrote um, a line that says, the law in its majestic equality forbids the rich as well as the poor to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets, and to steal bread. You know, my view of Canada's expanded made law if I was to do a riff off that, would be that Canada's expanded made law in its majestic equality provides death to the rich as well as the poor for poverty, loneliness, and social marginalization. To me, that's not true autonomy. These aren't easy problems to address. I, I think almost everyone would probably agree that we should do a better job in addressing these issues, and maybe it would alleviate some of this demand, if, if that's what this is. But in the meantime, uh, it... it it's, it, it takes years to to really meaningfully address these these problems. We still have the problem of the suffering right now. It's true, but this raises the other issue that's the fundamental problem with uh, providing it for mental illness. When we're saying we're providing it for an irremediable medical condition, because all the science tells us that we cannot make those predictions with any accuracy whatsoever when it comes to mental illness. And that's very different from things like ALS or cancers. And, you know, I'm not talking about miracle cures. I'm talking even about things like spontaneous remissions, which we see with uh, with depression. And it is something where, in terms of the premise of the law, what you're then saying is you have somebody in a state of depression who's feeling hopeless. You get somebody in a white coat coming in and saying to them, you actually are not going to get better. This is irremediable when they can't, in all honesty, make that assessment. And we also, in those situations, when people seek it for mental illness, the evidence tells us we can't separate or distinguish those requests from people who are traditionally suicidal, who benefit from suicide prevention, and then regain the will to live. Mm -hmm. And so you see we're then providing it under false pretenses to people who actually may be transiently suicidal, and the evidence shows that we are doing this because... When you look at the European countries, the few ones that allow made for mental illness, what you find is that you lose the gender balance of 50-50, which is what people seek made for when death is foreseeable, equal right. men to women. But when it's for psychiatric reasons, you get a terrifying gender gap of two to one women to men who seek and get made for psychiatric euthanasia, and they have unresolved loneliness and other life suffering. And that two-to-one women-to-men ratio parallels what we see with suicide attempts when people have mental illness. 
And most people who attempt suicide don't complete it, and most do not try again. In other words, are we risking, are we converting a transient suicidality of marginalized people into a permanent death, which is 100% lethal by made? Mm-hmm. And, and we do know, the last point I'll make on this is that as we make things easier, including death, more people do them. And so think about what that does as we're presenting this as, okay, here is your option to relieve your suffering. So in terms of how we address this, I mean, I, I suppose the, the simple and obvious thing would be to not proceed with these changes. But is the status quo as it is now sufficient? Do we still Are, are there still gaps or, or problems in our current made regime that need to be addressed? So I'll answer that in two ways. One is in terms of the mental illness piece. I think that if we're being both a moral and a thoughtful society, we need to revisit and look at the actual evidence to help us guide our future policies and not just say, oh, we're going to do this in six months, even if we don't know whether we should or how we will. And that's where we were at, that we were going to be introducing this in three months with literally no guidelines on specifically how to do this or whether we should. So the sunset clause, it's an arbitrary thing. You would never get that in any other area of medicine, saying that, you know, imagine a pharmaceutical company saying, we are going to start using this medication, this drug, in a year. We don't know how, we don't know the doses, we don't know the side effects or safety. We know nothing about how it'll be used, but just trust us, we'll do it. That's not how we should be implementing such serious policies. So I hope that the pause is used for actual deliberation of evidence to inform the policies on mental illness. On the other part of where we're at now, you know, we have seen a lot of concerns about what kinds of things are fueling suffering that MAID is already being provided for under what we call Track 2 since the expansion in 2021. For your readers, I'll actually direct you to a piece that just came out in the New Atlantis by Alexander Raikin, R-A-I-K-I-N, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And he actually goes through and details with research uh, the kinds of things people are getting made for now already. And I think Canadians need to be aware of that, because it is concerning. Some important points. Uh, also direct people, you wrote about this uh, recently at uh, theconversation.com, so some more uh, your thoughts uh, later there. Um, we'll see where this all goes from here. Um, but I do appreciate your insight here today, Dr. Gann. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, and all the best for the holiday season coming up. You as well. Thanks again. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Sanu Gand, as mentioned, professor of the University of Toronto's Faculty of Medicine, chief of psychiatry, and the physician chair of the MAID team at Humber River Hospital. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.